Oh, actually, first of all, I just want to welcome uh, Pastor Blake from uh, Southwest Harbor being here today and, and uh, choosing to worship with us today, and we just hope it feeds your soul. Um, Ken and Jane Black celebrated, they, they come to Maine every summer to celebrate their anniversary, and they celebrated their 59th anniversary this past week. So, so beat that. Yeah, I know you're trying. <laughs> I'm glad you joined us uh, this morning. Um, we're in this series that we're calling You Are Here. And here's what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to figure out how people grow spiritually um, and, and how to get unstuck in your spiritual growth process. Uh, some of you are kind of new to this thing. You're new to church. Um, you're new to Christianity. Uh, some of you, maybe you're still trying to decide where you land in this whole deal. You're pretty sure there's a God, uh, you're, but you're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. You know, is he the way to God? Is he the son of God? Is he who he said he was? You've got lots of questions. Maybe you've been here for a while and you've been asking, you've been coming for a while and you've been asking the same questions for a while and it's been long enough now that you just feel kind of stuck and you don't know what it's going to take for you to actually act on your faith. In fact, I think some of you maybe are here because I've had enough conversations that I think some of you maybe are at a place where you would love to have faith. You just don't know how. You don't know how to act on it. And maybe you've wanted to have faith for a while and for some reason you just can't seem to get there and you don't know why you can't get there. And hopefully, hopefully this series is addressing some of that. And then for some of us, we consider ourselves Christians. We identify as Christ followers. But most of us, we've probably had a season where there was a lot of growth but maybe you're not growing as much right now. Maybe, maybe you're kind of stuck. Maybe you have a picture of where you want to be, but you just can't seem to get there and figure out how to get there. So that's what we've been talking about in this series. The big idea behind this series is that sometimes we have a picture of where we want to be, but in the moment, uh, we just don't know where we are. And it's just like being lost, where you can have a destination in mind, but if you're not sure where you are, you can't get where you want to be. Right, Missy? And so sometimes when you're, she had an, might have had an, an incident last night trying to find the house that she grew up in, but we won't talk publicly about that. So that's just between us. So sometimes when you're traveling or maybe you're at a mall um, or you kind of, you kind of remember, you ever been in a really big mall and it, you're, it's new to you and you kind of remember where you parked the car, but you can't find that exit now. You can't find that where you came into the mall. You know, you go and you find the directory and you find the big map and you look for the little dot that says, you are here. That's what we've been doing here for these last four weeks, or last few weeks, this is part, this is part three. We're looking for the you are here dot. And we're spending four Sundays in a parable that Jesus taught that can really help us diagnose where we are spiritually. And the good news is, listen, where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. That's the good news. And chances are, uh, we're all going to see ourselves in the teaching on one of these weeks. We started off a few weeks ago uh, reading through the parable itself as a whole, and we saw that uh, for a lot of us, the problem with our spiritual progress or our lack thereof, the reason we seem to get stuck sometimes comes down to teachability. And maybe not in every area, maybe not across the board, maybe in just a couple areas of our lives where we're, we would have to admit we're not very teachable. We're not that open. And Jesus seemed to have the greatest impact on people who were open. 
So maybe, I don't know, maybe you know everything and you've got it all figured out and you're telling God how to run the universe. Well, uh, maybe not the universe because that's a little presumptuous, but maybe just the stuff that affects your life. And, and that can be a problem. So we spent some time a few weeks ago talking about that and talking about teachability. Then last time in part two, we talked about this condition that Jesus called having a hard heart. And this message really, really seemed to resonate. It seemed like in part one, maybe you were just trying to figure out where I was going with this, because honestly, I was too, because it, it required so much groundwork, just setting a foundation for parts two, three, and four. But man, I got so much feedback from, from part two, and I really appreciate that. And, and I love to hear what God is doing in your life, and especially when it's been triggered by something that you've heard or experienced here on Sunday morning. It's nice to know that maybe we're, we're presenting something that, that connects with your life. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of worry. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to wrap up the series and talk about what it means to live a surrendered life. The way Jesus taught this, uh, when he taught this parable, the parable of the sower, is he described God as a farmer who went out to plant some seed. And as he sowed the seed, he did so very generously, and he kind of scattered it all over. Because God is, uh, God's at work in all kinds of lives, not just yours, not just mine, not just churchy people, not just people who seem to have it all together. You know, God is at work in the most unlikely places. And sometimes it isn't even the kind of crop that God uh, desires, but, in, but he said, here's why. That really there are only three soil conditions that he talks about here in, in this parable of the sower. We're going to show this. You put this on, it's on the screen. There's the hard path and the rocky soil. There are weeds that grow up, sometimes even in good soil. And then there's simply good soil. The way we translated that visually is like this, that some of us have hearts that have become hard. They're like the hard path or the rocky soil. And so last time, we talked about having a hard heart, the signs that your heart has become hard, and what we can do about that. So I thank you for the feedback on that. It seems like quite a few people, some light bulbs kind of came on, and you realize that maybe not, generally speaking, maybe not across the board necessarily, but at least in one or two areas of my life when it comes to hearing what God has to say about this area or that area, it seems like I have developed a hard heart. And it's kind of hard to come to that realization. And then Jesus says, sometimes the truth gets in, and that seed that has been planted, it gets in and it starts to grow. Things start to grow. Fruit starts to develop. There's some good stuff being produced, but weeds grow up. And Jesus describes the weeds as the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. Now, if you're a worrier, you picked a great week to be here, because we're going to talk about you, and it's, it's going to be great, and it shouldn't be awkward at all. So if you're apprehensive about what I'm going to say, don't worry about it at all. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to wrap up with a th- the third type of soil, and it's good soil. You know people. They are alive spiritually. They have this vibrant relationship with Jesus. There's all kinds of spiritual fruit being produced in their lives. And you get around those people, and you think, you know, I wish that was true of me. I wish that was true of me more often and more of the time. I've been a Christian long enough. It really should be more true of me. You know, what's their secret? So we're going to look at the conditions that produce a surrendered life and because uh, when you live a surrendered life, you can have that kind of relationship with God, and we're going to try to crack the code on that in a couple of weeks. This week, though, we're talking about worry. If you're a worrier, you know this to be true, that worry is kind of like a weed. You don't have to do anything to get it to grow. It just grows. Just a quick scientific survey by show of hands. How many of you would say, yeah, I'm a worrier? Let me see. Hmm, interesting. Look around. Like, like, don't worry about it. Just look around. Because I, I know some of, you, some of you didn't put your hands up because you're worried about what people are going to say about you. But 
some of you were already been worried this morning. You're worried about what you're going to wear. You're worried you're going to be late for church. You're worried about someone might be sitting in your seat or parked in your space and all that. And I'll tell you, uh, it's probably a little inappropriate that I'm teaching this message because I've never been a worrier. Um, I've been a schemer and a planner and a manipulator at times, but I've, I've really never been much of a worrier. And of course, some people in my, who know me would say that it's probably because I just don't care enough. Uh, to worry about things, and they may be onto something, but that's another topic for another day. I've done some research, though, and I try to do research and try to do my due diligence anytime I'm preparing for the Sundays that I teach, and I did some research. In fact, I did a worry questionnaire, and it's actually a questionnaire that came out of Penn State University nearly 30 years ago. So I, uh, I did this questionnaire, and in this particular assessment, the extreme worrier, the person who is consumed and crippled by worry, scores an 80. That's the high score. The lowest possible score on the worry scale is 16. And I scored an 18. So I don't know what that says about me. It's, I need to talk to my therapist about that because I don't know what is going on. But it really doesn't bother me because I'm not worried about it, which actually should worry me. But sure, I worry a little bit about certain things. I've been reflecting on this for a few weeks, knowing I was going to teach on this today. Um, there are a few terms that we throw around a lot, ideas like worry and anxiety and stress, and they're not all the same thing. There are definitely times when I get stressed, but I don't really have anxiety, and, uh, and I'm just not a worrier. The Probably the two things that I worry about the most um, are this time slot on Sunday morning. Sometimes I get a little stressed that I'm going to run out of fresh ideas, and I'm going to, have to, I'm going to go to my office some morning where my calendar says sermon prep, and I'm going to sit down and begin to study for my next sermon or the next series, and the well's just going to be dry. Then what? Then what do I do? What happens then? Um, maybe that's one of the reasons I like to teach in a series. Actually, it is one of the reasons I like to teach in a series, because at least I know that I, at least I can extend my career in this profession for a few more weeks, because I'm in a four-part series. So I know I've got the well isn't completely dry, so I'm good for a few weeks. In fact, last fall, so like nearly a year ago, I did some long-term teaching planning, and I decided on two series for 2017. The series that I called Staying on Track that we did in January up to about Easter, where we talked about some real specific things about the church and about this church and about our vision and our mission and our values and our methodology. We did that and started in January. And then after that, like after Easter, uh, I planned to launch that, the What About Doubt series. Some of you remember that. And I don't, I don't know why. I don't, don't have to put your hand up because I don't care. But sometimes uh, I did it. I don't know if you remember or not, but I did it. And somewhere early on in the Doubt series, I planned this short series. And I just wasn't sure I would launch it in the summer because you aren't supposed to launch things like that in the summer. So anyway, when I function like that, it helps uh, with my concerns about maybe someday running out of fresh teaching ideas. Then like most of us, I've been known to worry about money. And honestly, I tend to worry more about the finances in the church than I do my own personal finances. And maybe it's because um, I have no power at all over what comes in through the offering from week to week. I'm quite aware, though, of what bills are due week to week. And sometimes I see the giving report for Sunday, and I know it's payroll week, and it happens to be mortgage payment week, and it's not even close. And, you know, if we aren't able to make payroll, then, then I start to worry about my personal finances because they're kind of linked together. I don't know if you ever put all that together before, but, you know, if we don't, we don't meet the budget and we don't make payroll, then I don't make my mortgage payment. So, yeah, there, there, there are things, those are the two things that I tend to worry about from time to time. Um, 
in my house, uh, we are gradually making the, uh, this transition into empty nest stage. Um, our son, Ben, got married nearly two years ago and promptly moved out of state. Um, and we're not bitter about it or anything. <laughs> and, uh, and then Aaron is doing her part to get us ready for a completely empty nest by going to BYC for like seven weeks at a time. And I'll tell you, our kids just haven't given us any cause for worry. They don't give us reasons to worry. Their teen years were amazing. They learned uh, to make wise and informed decisions, and they surrounded themselves with the right kind of friends and the right kind of influences. So the stage we're in right now that we just started for us just a couple years ago uh, has probably been the time when I worry the most about them uh, because of the decisions that they're making right now and the values and the priorities that they are landing on at this stage in their lives are so significant. They carry so much weight. And if I worry about anything in that regard, I worry about if they're going to make the wisest decisions, if they're going to continue to seek godly counsel, if they're going to continue to surround themselves with people with, with healthy and godly you know, influences. Uh, some of you and I are parents of little ones, and your kids are preschoolers, and you're like, I don't even want to think about that stage. You know, first of all, Todd, you were so young. How could you have kids that age? I know, it's crazy. But um, you know, you're like, I don't even want to think about that yet. Or maybe your kids are teenagers or young teenagers, and, and I know this is a day that we have the teenagers in the room, so guys, I'm sorry if your parents are staring at you right now, but you decided as a parent that the teen years weren't going to be great, so your kids are doing their best to live up to your expectations. You know, like, how can I get rid of these little monsters? Um, you know, I'd gladly take on your worries. Let's trade. So for someone uh, like me who doesn't seem to care enough to worry my usual advice for worriers, because that's why, I mean, I, I went public with this on Facebook a couple different times in the last two weeks about my topic for today, and you still chose to come, which is kind of cool. And you're like, I knew I should be on Facebook and find something better to do. But you came here for advice, so I'm going to give you my advice for worriers. I hope you got something to write this down or put it on your phone. Okay, ready? Wait for it. Ready? Ready? Don't. <laughs> I mean, don't worry about it. If you're a worrier, that's not helpful. <laughs> no one ever responded to that kind of advice from me and said, oh, you mean just stop. Oh, just stop you know, worrying or whatever. I never thought of that. That's a great idea. You just solved all the problems in my life. Thank you so much for sharing your years of wisdom with me. You know, I'm just not going to worry anymore. This is great. Never thought about that. Because you've tried it, haven't you? And it bothers you that you know, when non-worriers come along and, and we're like, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. Don't worry. No need to worry. You know, and then you start to worry about the fact that you're failing at trying not to worry. It's just this, this vicious downward spiral. So what do you do if you're a worrier? So yeah, I've done some uh, research and I've talked with lots of you about this. And uh, and you're like, oh, that's what that conversation was about. Yeah, it's been years of research, just so you know, taking lots of notes. I've lived my, uh, lived my own life, you know, and I've done a lot of years walking side by side with a lot of people and a lot of you, and, and I don't have it figured out. But I feel like I've observed some things, and I've read some things in the Scripture and learned some things along the way. So if you're ready, if you're ready, here's the antidote to worry. And when I give it to you, please hang with me, because we're going we're gonna to work all the way through this, because I know it's going to sound simplistic. But the best I can figure out as a non-worrier, here's the advice I want to give you. And Jesus touched down on it in this parable. So here's how I think you can overcome worry. And it's simply this. Do what you can. Open your hands. And trust God. 
Do what you can. Open your hands and trust God. And some of you, I just lost you because you're like, well, isn't that nice? A little couplet. Why don't you set that to music and write yourself a song? Well, maybe I will. You just don't worry about my stuff. I thought you didn't, you know, you're like, I thought you didn't like pithy little sayings. I really don't. Um, and you're like, well, this is really helpful. I don't know what it means or how to apply it, and I'm still stuck. So thanks a lot. This is great, Todd. I think there's a lot of truth in this, and there's some wisdom in this. Do what you can. Open your hands and trust God. Now, in order for this to make sense, I think we need to look at why we worry. And then we need to look at what Jesus said about it, and because Jesus didn't say, hey, don't worry, don't worry, you'll have a better life, it'll all work out, it'll be great. Don't, just don't worry about it. I'll take care of everything, it'll be perfect. But what he says is this is a spiritual growth issue. If you worry a lot, you're going to stop growing spiritually. You might never reach your potential as a follower of Jesus Christ, and you'll never get to the place where you live a surrendered life where God is doing all kinds of things, that, all the things that he wants to do in your life and that he could do if you would just stop worrying. See, I think this is the antidote. But before we really explore that, let's talk about what people worry about. Last week, I asked a question on Facebook, uh, why, what do you worry about? And some of you responded. Some of you responded in private messages because you're worried about what people think of you. <laughs> you're just giving yourselves away. So then I'm like, this isn't really working because my, my, my private message box got flooded. And, and like, so I thought I was doing an anonymous survey. So I did an anonymous survey, and a bunch of you replied to that. And I don't even know who did it because it was anonymous, which is kind of cool. I know you didn't believe that it was, but I really have no idea. But here's what the statistics say about worry. Here's what, and it's the studies that I read totally match the results that you gave me. Totally match. So we're all kind of in this human experience together. Here's what statistics say about worry. You worry, number one, you want to guess? Number one, you worry about money. Money. Number one concern when it comes to worry is money. Cross the board, according to our survey, too, that you guys took part in. Here's the thing about money. You worry about money when you don't have it, and you worry about money when you have it. Because when you don't have it, you worry that you don't have it. And when you have it, you worry that you might not have it someday. And some of you, you know, you're like, well, I, I don't have any money. So one day when I have money, I'll stop worrying about it. No. Because others of you are in this room, you're like, man, today I have more money than I've ever had. And I still worry about it. So you're worried about money. Number two, want to guess on this one? Number two is health, either your own health or the health of the people that you love. You know, how long am I going to live? How am I going to be in good shape? Am I going to have a quality of life? Am I going to be a burden to my family? Um, am I going to have to have someone take care of me? Um, those are number one and two. And these all fit in here somewhere. People worry about their children. Some people um, should worry more about their children. <laughs> but we worry about our kids. You know, are they going to turn out okay? Are they going to be responsible adults? Are they safe? Are they making good decisions? Am I missing something obvious? A lot of people worry. This one kind of surprised me how high it was. But a lot of people worry about disappointing others. Disappointing your spouse, disappointing your kids, disappointing your parents, disappointing your boss, your coworkers, your friends. Uh, a lot of people worry about relationships in general. You know, they worry about their marriage. They worry about their kids. They worry about their friendships. 
And finally, this is kind of a recent development, but uh, a survey that I saw, a study that I saw just last week said that um, I worry about the what-if scenarios in my life. So it's like, I think I got this covered, but what if this happens? What if I lose my job? What if she walks out on me? What if, you know, I get cancer? What if, what if, what if? Those are the most common uh, sources of worry. So if you're a worrier, you're probably resonating with something on that list going, yep, I worry about that. You're like, oh, I hadn't thought about it till now, so now I'm worried about it. Thanks a lot. You know. What's the, let's talk about the cumulative impact of worry. There's a British study that was done about seven years ago that polled 2,000 people, and they tried to get a benchmark on how much people actually worry. How could they, could they quantify it? You know, the average person, and if you, are you ready for the average person? spend 744 hours worrying in a single year. That's 744 hours out of 8,760 hours in a year. That's just under 10% of the time. And if you take out the hours that you're supposed to be sleeping, but you can't because you're worrying, that's 23% of the time. That we worry 23% of the time. And that's the average. So if you're a worrier, it's significantly higher. So if you just take the median number, that adds up to, ready for this, 5.2 years of your life that you waste worrying. The average person spends over half a decade worrying about stuff. Think about that. Remember what Jesus said about this in another passage. It was also in the book of Matthew in his famous sermon on the Mount where in Matthew 6, he was talking about worry and he asked a question. He said, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no. You can't add any time to your life. In fact, you will waste 5.2 years worrying, not to mention all the other things that happen, the health concerns, that come about as a, as, a, as a result of worry, the lack of sleep, the treating, you know, the stress with all kinds of unhealthy behaviors. So in light of all that, we've made the case for the whole worry thing. What does Jesus have to say about worry? Well, he explains that worry is an impediment to our spiritual growth. It's more than just a life issue. If you were to look at this and, and ask, you know, is this a smart way to spend your life? Whether you're a Christian or not, you know, I think most of us would say, no, it's not a very healthy way to spend your life. But if you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, it becomes even more problematic because it becomes a barrier in your relationship with God. And Jesus explains it in the parable of the sower. So we're in Matthew chapter 13. It took us a long time to get there. Um, and that was just my introduction, just so you know. Not really. Let's look at the parable. You've seen these uh, verses before if you've been with us these last uh, couple of messages in this series, but we're coming back to them, looking at them from a different angle every time. We're in Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. This is the parable of the sower. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Sounds like a good plan. But, oh, no, he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. And he, taught, he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. And this, these are the words of Jesus. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. That's what we talked about last time, and we talked about this condition of being hard-hearted. And if you missed it, you can grab the CD on the Welcome Center there on the table by the door, or you can listen to the podcast in part two of this series. We learned that some of us can't have 
faith and we can't grow in our faith because we are so hardened to the input of other people um, that even God doesn't get in. We said that if we want to get from where we are to where we want to be, if we, if we can't get unstuck, we need to trust again, we need to believe again, we need to open up again, and we need to hope again. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then Jesus offers an explanation because they didn't understand. Skip down to verse 18. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. We jump down to verse 22 and we get the specific uh, explanation of this part we're talking about today. Verse 22, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. It's not that you don't hear the gospel. It's not that you don't hear the truth of God's word. It's not that you don't hear the Holy Spirit working in you. It kind of gets in, and then something starts to crowd it out, and Jesus identifies two culprits. He says the worries of this life, so he specifically says worry is a spiritual issue. Worry is an impediment to your spiritual growth and your relationship with God, and so is the lure of wealth. Today we're going to focus on worry, but let me just touch on the lore of wealth for a second because I'm not going to spend much time here today because I plan to address this a little more in depth in a few weeks' time. When Jesus spoke, he spoke in Hebrew and Aramaic. And depending on the setting and depending on the audience, then those words were then translated into Greek because by the end of the first century, it was a Greek-speaking world. And the Greek word for lore is one of those words that has a double meaning. And so the wealth that he's talking about here is money, and possessions, and all the stuff that we accumulate, and all the lifestyle that goes along with having money. And Jesus says there's a lure. The lure means two things. It means that wealth is both pleasurable and deceitful. Wealth is pleasurable. It can be fun. It's enjoyable. Nobody can deny that. Having money is better than not having money, right? Can you say that in church? I I think having money is better than not having money. I like to try it. But it's also deceitful. And sometimes Christians say things like, that's right, money is the root of all evil. And of course, the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, does it? You're like, it doesn't? I thought it, no. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10, if you need proof of that. Jesus would go on to say that money makes a wonderful servant and a terrible master. You can use money or it can use you. And that's because having money is more pleasurable than not having money. How many of you have more money now than you've ever had? Let's talk about your your net worth, if you know what your net worth is, okay? You have more now than you've ever had. You want to go back to the before now? I don't. So for those of you who aren't there, like just hang in there because there will probably come a point in your life when you have more than you've ever had. And it is more pleasurable than not having it. Because when we have money, we fool ourselves into thinking that the things that we can buy with our money will make our lives more meaningful. And that the experiences that we can have because we have money will make us happy. Because when we have a certain amount of money in the bank or at our disposal, then we can finally sleep at night. And we'll feel secure. And we'll be content. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. Because it never delivers on what it promises. You thought that when you had more money, you'd be happier, but you're not. Let 
mean, some of you have more money and more stuff and more of the experiences that wealth and affluence provides. You're like, I wouldn't consider myself affluent. You clearly haven't traveled a whole lot outside of North America. You have more money, more stuff, more of the experiences that wealth and affluence provide, but you've never been less happy. Because wealth is pleasurable and deceitful. It never delivers on what it promises. And Jesus says, if you chase after wealth, just know it's a good servant and a terrible master. And if you chase it, you're in for a lot of deceit and a lot of disappointment and a lot of unmet expectations, and it will, it will choke out faith in your life if that's the thing you're pursuing. Say more about that in a few weeks' time. He says the other thing that will choke out faith in your life is worry. Where wealth is pleasurable and deceitful, worry is simply unproductive. It's unproductive. I mean, what is the point? (laughs) What does worry accomplish? If you look at the time that you spend worrying, you have to admit it's simply a waste of time. I read this quote the first time I read it, it was attributed to Winston Churchill. Then I found out it was actually Mark Twain, but then I discovered that it wasn't Mark Twain. It was uh, James Garfield when he was president-elect. And then I found out that it actually wasn't him either. It's probably some French philosopher whose name I can't pronounce and now I've forgotten. So anyway, I came up with this uh, this week on my own because I, I don't know who said it. You've heard it too. The story of the old man, and he looked back on his life and he said, I had a lot of troubles in my life, most of which never happened. You peel back worry, and you start to see what's really at stake. Why is worry not just a little life issue, not a little, just a self-improvement issue? Why, is worry ha- Why does it have to be a spiritual issue? Why does it matter? I think worry does a couple things. The first thing worry does theologically is it's a sign that you lack confidence in God. That's what worry is. That's what worry says to us. It's a sign that you lack confidence in God. It's a sign that you think, okay, I don't trust God with my future, so I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to come up with a plan, because, and that's what worry is all about. It's about working a plan, even if it's just in your head. Listen, if you're a Christian, I mean, you would never say that out loud, right? That in reality, there's often a gap between what we say and how we live, between what we say and what we do, and between what we say and what we actually believe. Because if we started to get real honest and elevate and expose what we really believe, sometimes it's not, it's not very pretty. And worry is just a sign that I don't really trust God. I, I don't have the confidence that God is going to do the right thing in this situation. I don't have the confidence that, that God has my back. I don't have the confidence that God has the same goals for my life that I do. So really, I don't have confidence that God is good, at least not in my specific situation. See, if we understand uh, the God of the Bible as he really is, if we understood what the God of the Bible is about, and if you, if you don't read your Bible, you should, uh, because you would realize that he's a God of love, that he loves you, that he wants the best for you, and that he is a God of the resurrection and a new day and a new beginning and, and hope. So why in the world would I not trust God? Why in the world would I not have confidence in God? But, but most of us don't. It's like by worry... I'm going to hang on to everything I can because I don't really have the confidence that God's going to do what I need Him to do. That's the first thing that worry shows us. It's a sign that you lack confidence in God. Second thing, worry believes that you will do better than God. 
If you refuse to surrender your worry, and I know it's hard because you, you really look at what's underneath, it says, by worrying, I believe that I'm going to do better than God because God can't be trusted because I don't really have confidence in him. I could do better with my future than God can, so I'm not really going to trust God with this relationship. I'm not going to trust God with my finances. I'm not going to trust God with my career. I'm not going to trust God with this friendship. I'm not going to trust God with this health thing. I'm not going to trust God with my kids. I'm going to hang on to whatever I can hang on to, and I'm not really going to trust God. Oh, I'll sing some songs about trusting him. We're going to do that in a little bit, and it's going to be oh warm and fuzzy. And it's going to be great, but come on, really? I'm not really going to trust God with my future I and mean, with what's right around the corner, what's right down the road from, you know, it's going to waiting to take me out. I know it is. I'm not going to trust God with, you know, whatever, because I believe that I can do a better job than God can. And by worrying, I'm going to hold on to as much as I possibly can. Just one question. How's that working for you? I mean, if you look at that, honestly, it's absurd. If you really believe that there's a God, and if you really believe that he is as the Bible describes him, that at the very least, this is the God who created the universe, all right? However he did it, he did it. So there's galaxies and supernovas and intricacies and mysteries, and the greatest human minds can barely get their minds around these things. And I'm like, oh, that's nice, God, good for you, but I think I'm going to do uh, better than that because uh, i got this thing in my life that I'm pretty sure I can handle better. And I think I'm probably smarter than God on this one, so I'll just, i got this figured out. Worry believes that you're going to do better than God. So I'm not going to surrender this. I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to trust God because I got this. I'll do a better job on this one than God. Third thing that worry does is it doesn't trust God with the future. You mean like, oh, no, 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 I trust God. I trust God because I love that song. You know, you don't move mountains and you don't part the waters and you don't give the answers. I'll, I'll trust in you. And just to prove it, I'll sing it again. I'll trust in you. I'll trust, I'll trust in you. I had a tag, I'll trust in you. But we don't. Because if you worry, you're not really trusting God with your future because you think you're going to do a better job with the future than God will. And you lack confidence in God, and so consequently you don't trust Him. You're like, yeah, but I don't really trust anybody, so it's not just a God thing. Okay, I get that. But if you don't get over your trust issues, you're probably never going to really trust God either. So worry doesn't trust God about the future because you don't trust anybody but yourself. And again, how's that working? So what should we do with worry? So when you start to peel the layers away, it's tough. It's, 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 it's ugly. It's one of the reasons that your faith only gets so far and then it's choked off, just like the weeds in the parable of the sower. And listen, you have a role to play in this. The longer you let worry play out in your life, the less that you trust God and the more it's going to be a barrier in your spiritual growth and it's going to limit how far you go in the development and the maturing of your faith. So what should we do with worry? People who study this stuff, people like sociologists and psychologists, they say things like, if you're a worrier, you should set aside a time every day to worry and keep it in that box. I chuckled at first too. I thought that's interesting pop psychology then I realize it's not that far from what the Bible has to say. Because the problem with worry is that it spreads out into our whole lives. You know, you're worried when you're driving to work. You're worried when you're trying to get that project done at work. You're worried when you get home. You're worried when you're trying to relax. You're worried when you should be sleeping. You wake up in the morning, the whole thing starts over again. And so some experts have said, just put it in a box. Like, I think, and I think the Bible actually kind of leans this way, where God says there's a place 
where you can leave your worry every day. As Christians, we call it prayer. That when you pray, you pray out your anxiety and you leave it with God. I love what the Apostle Paul said um, in, in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything again. Don't you love that? When people are like, well, don't. You know, it's like when Jesus says, listen to the parable and understand. It's like, don't, I mean, if you had a teacher like that, wouldn't that be great? Well, I this math thing, I just don't. Just understand. Just understand it. Okay, next, you know, don't worry about anything. And you find verses like this in the Bible, and it's like, don't, you know, don't worry. Don't, just don't do that, and don't do this, and understand. It's not that easy. Don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, this is Paul speaking, he says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and thank him for all he's done. Because he's been faithful in the past. Sometimes a lot more than we give him credit for, and a lot more than we even realize. And he says, tell him what you need. A lot of us don't do that. We don't really tell God much of anything because we don't really like to talk to him that much. So tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And then in verse 7, Paul says, Then you'll experience God's peace. Isn't that what we want? Which exceeds anything that we can understand. And he says, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what do we do about worry? I'm going to come back to this that I put up on the screen earlier. That we do what we can. We open our hands. And we trust God. Some of you need to say that with me. So I'm just going to say it again. If it's you, that you could kind of help out here. Do what you can. Open your hands. And trust God. Let's unpack this a little bit. And I'm going to wrap it up. What does it mean to do what you can? It means you need to pray. And you need to act. I think the challenge for some of us is that we pray, but we don't act. We pray, but we don't take any action. We pray, but we don't make any changes in ourselves. We might try to change the situation, but we're not making any changes in ourselves. We pray, but we don't contribute to the solution. I don't know what's wrong with God. I pray all the time. My life's still not going very well. Well, sometimes you need to act. You need to do what you can do. And if you're worried about money, you've got to ask yourself questions like, do I have a workable budget? Have I written it down on paper or on my computer where I can actually see it? Or is it all in my head? Am I getting good financial advice? Have I applied for a job or maybe a second job? Do I keep saying yes to debt? Are you doing what you can? I know people who are like, well, I just, I just pray about it. I'm just praying that God will come through. And I, I'll tell you, I don't always say this out loud. In fact, I usually don't. But inside, I'm like, Seriously? You're praying that God will come through for you. You're praying for a miracle? Seriously? It's like, who do you think you are? My response is, you should do something about it. God wants you to take responsibility. I know it's a foreign, outdated, weird, anti-American concept. Sometimes church people are the worst, okay? So just because you pray doesn't mean that you don't need to act. Oh, some of us have the opposite problem. I fall more into this category that where we act before we pray. And it's not that I don't pray, but I could probably be more prayerful sometimes. And we usually go one extreme or the other on this. We pray, but we don't act, or we act, but we don't pray. The Apostle Paul says we should do both. We should pray regularly, not just a rote prayer that we learned when we were five, but you should bring everything to God and tell Him everything you need and make sure that you've acted as much as you can. 
Have you done a budget? Have you applied for a job? Have you asked for forgiveness? The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So as far as it depends on you, you know, I can't guarantee that I will live at peace with everybody in my life. But as far as it depends on me, you know, have I asked for forgiveness? Have I granted forgiveness? Have I apologized? Have I made some changes? Have I owned what I need to own? Whether or not they forgive me is up to them. If I do all I can do, whether we live in peace is now up to them. So the question is, have you done everything you possibly can? For some of you, it means getting a job. For some of you, it means getting a second job. You've got to get a different job, but you haven't done anything yet. You're just still praying about it. I know you don't expect to hear that in church, like stop praying and do something. But if you're concerned about your health, you know, and you've got this thing going on and something else and you're worried, have you been to the doctor? Are you getting some help with those unhealthy habits? I know you pray every day that you will lose some weight, but have you tried eating healthier, maybe getting some exercise? See what I'm talking about? Just do what you can. Praying and acting, acting and praying. Then open your hands. When you open your hands, just remember this. Don't try to control the things you can't control. There are, have you noticed this? There are things in this life that are beyond our control. Have you found this to be true? I know God has a plan. No, that's not what I'm talking about because don't, I'm, I haven't got time to get into the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. But there are some things that are beyond our control. Oh, so many of those things are under the influence of our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe. But for example, you know, I can't control how long I'm going to live. But I could try to drive responsibly. I could probably eat better and get a little more exercise. I could certainly avoid certain destructive behaviors and addictions. So I can sort of control the quality of my life to a certain extent, but ultimately I have to surrender that to God. In every area of our lives, we've got to surrender the future to God. We can't control other people as much as we try, and you can't control the future You just got to open your hands. And then finally, trust God. There's a difference. You're like, I trust God, I trust God, I pray, and I trust God. There's a difference between trusting God for an outcome and simply trusting God. Here's what I'm talking about. Most of the time when we pray, we're trusting God for a specific outcome. You're praying that someone gets well. You're praying for a good report from the doctor. You're praying for a financial turnaround. You're praying for that this happens and that that happens. We're trusting God for an outcome. And we get so crushed when it doesn't work out just the way that we hoped it would. Not because, you know, we're trusting God. It's just because we're trusting him for a specific outcome. We're saying, God, I'm trusting you for this specific outcome and and this specific answer to my prayer. And if you don't do it, I'm not sure if you're good and I'm not sure if you can be trusted. And uh, so we believe that we know more and we're better than God. There's a huge difference between trusting God for an outcome and simply trusting God. He just wants us to trust him. So how do you stop worrying? I think it starts with do what you can. Open your hands and trust God. We're going to do the thing that I kind of poke fun at as I'm talking about this. We're going to listen to a song. Before we do, we're going to pray. And if there's something that you're like, okay, God, I really need need to pray about this, I want you to ask, what can I do about this? What have I left undone? Am I anxious? Not because God isn't trustworthy, but because I think I know better than God. Let's ask ourselves some hard questions. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, this is a challenge for most of us. The people in this room have worried their whole lives. They don't know how to function without it. It's like a family tradition. It's like a legacy. And sometimes it's terrifying to think about letting that go. So, Father, I pray that this morning we would see this as a spiritual issue as Jesus presented it, as an impediment to our spiritual growth and to our development. Help us to see worry as something that gets in the way of our relationship with you. Give us the courage to do what we can, to open our hands, and to trust you. Listen to this. Seas that are shaken and stirred.